0: hi revive stronger listeners i want to take a moment of your time to make you aware of a very special event we are running shortly on the 14th of july mike israel and jared feather from renaissance periodization will be joining us in london for a single day seminar covering the scientific principles of advanced hypertrophy to purchase a ticket see the link in the description box of this podcast episode it will be amazing to see you there As a listener of the podcast, we can guarantee you will absolutely love the exclusive content that will be presented at the seminar, going deep into things such as structuring your mesocycles nutritionally with your training as well to optimize muscle growth, plus extensive Q&As, so don't miss out, get your ticket today. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, Steve Hall, and I'm incredibly happy to have Jared Feather with me today, as I'm sure all of you listeners are. Um, if you know Mike Isretel, you sure know Jared Feather because he brings him up almost every other podcast. Um, <laughs> and he is part of Renaissance Periodization as well, the head physique coach. He is a natural pro bodybuilder and is very impressive physique wise. Like his physique is insane, uh, which is why Mike <laughs> brings him up all the time. And uh, he's learned off the back of Mike, um, which means he knows a lot, but has also got his own experiences through his own training, through his own clients, um, and is very well educated. And in fact, still studying right now aren't you Jared Uh uh-huh yep uh
1: last semester of grad school actually so busy busy that's why uh you know we try to get me on here every now and again and it just never freaking works out I was like oh shit I forgot I had to go uh to the lab today and finish my you know data collection or something so it finally worked out
0: it's that life from the deuce (laughs) <laughs> it's the, the, I, I say it's the life mrv you've just got too much going on to try and oh, fit in these podcasts I'm, I'm pretty close pretty close <laughs> to that
1: <laughs> with relationships and training two times a day
0: yeah, yeah i mean it's a luxury but at the same time it's difficult to fit everything in and um, yeah something jared is incredibly passionate about is natural bodybuilding and is maximizing hypertrophy and this is definitely something we're going to be talking about during this chat Um, and how he applies kind of the principles of hypertrophy to himself to his clients Um, so you guys can hopefully take away some practical application from that Um, before we dive straight into that i just wanted to kind of bring up to the listeners that um, if you we may not have announced it but we may have announced it by now that jared and mike will be coming over to london and probably dublin for seminars so um, i know you recently did one over in china is that right jared
1: yeah, we were in Hong Kong. It was, a, it was a blast. We presented to a group of their best trainers, I guess. Hong Kong's most uh, sought-after trainer was actually there. So. Oh, amazing. That was pretty sweet.
0: Did you try any weird foods?
1: <laughs> Man, honestly, I am uh, entirely underwhelmed when people tell me, you know, the food, oh, but like American Chinese food, it's so different than <laughs> uh, regular Chinese food. And then I try it, and I'm like, yeah, it's like less bland. It's like more bland over there, yeah, but yeah. it still tastes like American Chinese food. I'm like, eh. Like, uh, Zion, my girlfriend, she was always like, no, San Antonio tacos, though. San Antonio tacos. It's like real Mexican food. Went there, tried them. I was like, you realize real Mexicans work at the restaurants. Like, it's not like they're just coming up with this shit and trying to make it more Missouri. So I'm always like, eh, it, it tastes like food. It was delicious, though. I loved it. Dim sum, I never had dim, dim sum. Very good. Uh, that was the one thing everyone was telling me to try, so...
0: Dim sum is good, and I guess, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> it was the same. Um, me and Charlotte went to Mexico, and we actually enjoyed like the Americanized, like Mexican places more. And it's just like, damn us, yeah. like we want to enjoy the authentic food, but <laughs> Americans <laughs> yeah, now totally. to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, we just you know, we add all that flavor and MSG and all the other yeah. good shit, all the fat.
0: Awesome. Well, at the moment, um, and actually. Well, actually the first topic I want to touch on and the first topic um, me and Jared have been back and forth having discussions about is something that if you have followed my Isretel, if you follow Renaissance Periodization, you know it's something that is um, one of the kind of main tools within their programming for hypertrophy within mesocycles. And that is relative, relative intensity, sorry. So you might be tracking this yourself right now as a trainer, like through RPE, the Relative Perceived Exertion Scale, or through RIR, which is reps in reserve. Um, And I think online it can be quite difficult sometimes when you see like the big jack guys who are maybe looking like they're going balls out all the time. Maybe they're using some sort of system that does keep, Kind of reps and reserve but they don't call it that or sometimes they are just going all out and i think as a younger lifter or someone who's less experienced it can be quite challenging to know how to approach your training um, but if you just want to talk about kind of relative relative intensity and its role within hypertrophy jared that'd be really good
1: definitely so relative intensity Also sort of uh, known as like your proximity to failure. (laughs) Um, We can track that via RPE, RIR, which is reps and reserves. Uh, We mark that down as like the from failure concept in our training. But um, it's basically a big tool to help you manage fatigue throughout the mesocycle and to still help you progress in such a way that uh each week you're able to overload your training um it's for some reason it's been getting a lot of uh you know talk about it lately as like it's it's not actually training hard some of the younger guys that are coming up are like you just gotta you know take the experience from all these jacked guys and Use the the anecdotal side of things and just train your ass off and like cool That's good and well, but the whole thing about that is nobody ever said don't train hard There's a reason that we go through the volume landmarks and each week we're hitting our Maximum adaptive volume. It's maximum and it's adaptive and we're hitting that within the RIR system the RPE system Um, to say the, the week one of Your maximum adaptive volume uh, and a like four or three RAR which is being shown to be basically the closest you want to be to not failing (laughs) so anything five and above from your uh, absolute failure would be uh, less than optimal for hypertrophic outcomes. To say that training with your maximum adaptive volume at a four RAR isn't hard is it sort of doesn't make much sense i think that they're missing or not connecting two concepts um this was initially sort of the other way around we were trying to keep people from fatiguing themselves too much um chasing reps maybe stopping too shy because people would program their mesocycles or they just program their training and they would say okay three by 12 today Um, I'm going to pick a weight, I'm going to do 3x12, or I'm going to increase weight and do 3x12. They'd get to 12, they'd stop, or they would be chasing reps. They'd be chasing that 12. So if we say, uh, Messa Cycle 1, we want you in a certain uh, rep range with a certain proximity to failure, then you're able to stop that yourself, kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So if I say I want you to 6 to 10 reps, um, you give me your best 10 RM. I program a certain percentage based off of that and it should land you within six to ten reps at that RIR at that RPE so whether that's a seven RPE or a three RIR three reps in reserve three rep reps left in the tank before you're reaching that absolute failure um, it was to help you realize sort of each set isn't going to be the exact same in reps achieved it might be something more like 10, 10, 9 within that 6 to 10 rep range with 3 let uh 3 left in the tank. That's to say if you got 10 on the set, you could have got 13 total reps and you would have been a complete failure. If you do that for let's say body part per week, uh, just an example, let's say quads, if 12 is like someone's uh minimum effective volume and they're training at like 13 or 14 sets that week for the adaptive outcome, um 14 total quad sets at a three RAR. Last time I checked, that's pretty fucking hard. Um, We were trying to get people to train harder, right? And RPE is trying to get people to train harder (laughs) and not stop so short. (laughs) This got turned around somehow with all these young kids uh, coming up, like young guys don't need to pay attention to the RAR. Uh, Young guys just need to train to failure, which is actually funny because uh, as Mike's talked about on multiple podcasts, the more of a beginner you are, The the less you can do and still make gains so one set a week is enough for someone who's never touched a weight for them to grow that's not saying stop at one set a week it's just saying (laughs) that's their minimum effective volume that's how it works so to say these young kids need to push to failure more often and not pay attention to the RAR it doesn't make sense Um, huge proponents of this uh, 3dmj myself the hypertrophy god himself brad schoenfeld you know these people have produced data that shows four and below great for hyper hypertrophic outcomes within the certain intensity threshold 60 percent and above five below or five and more probably not a good idea so <laughs> to go against them just because you think uh, all these anecdotes or whatever uh, Are more useful it doesn't make much sense because the whole entire point of science is to make what we already know better mm-hmm. Using anecdotes, especially if you're a coach. This is wide-eyed because they knew who I'm talking about if you're a coach claiming to be science-based uh, You should probably try to be science-based and not throw out all the evidence Um it's really frustrating to see someone who has a really big impact on younger bodybuilders uh, in this natural bodybuilding community, to see them have a negative impact in my eyes and just tell them, you know, uh, here's a quote. Take everything Mike Isretel says with a pinch of pink Himalayan sea salt to say shit like that and not realize you're literally talking about an expert in the field. It'd be like me saying Brad Schoenfeld doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, who the hell am I to say that? I I don't even have my master's yet. It's just very very childish, and it's very sad to see because they have such a big impact on a lot of guys in the natural bodybuilding community. (laughs) What they can do is help you to understand you do need to train harder. Um, You do need to try and figure out that sort of reps and reserve system, the the RPE, the proximity to failure, Um, and you do need to realize what that feels like. So if... You know, going to failure uh, once or twice per mesocycle, or even just going to failure on the smaller muscle groups. If that gets you the feeling of what failure feels like, then you kind of can work backwards and realize, okay, I'm probably three R right now. When there's a bit of a technique slowdown slash breakdown, hopefully not breakdown, but sort of that, you know, you got that real consistent. Uh, what do they call that? Repetition cadence. Hey, yeah. You got a real consistent cadence in your reps. Um, and then it slows down, probably a decent indicator that you're starting to get more in that 4 RAR, maybe closer to 3 RAR. And if you're in your earlier weeks of the cycle and you want to leave room for overload and not get super systemically fatigued because you're chasing reps or chasing failure all the fucking time, that's a good place to stop. And still maximally adapt for the week. That's the whole fucking point. <laughs> they take... What these people are doing that are misapplying it, they're taking one concept, (laughs) one concept, so RIR, and they're completely bashing it without tying in the rest of the principles. And Eric Helms made a really good post about this recently about um, principles over – what was the direct quote? I
0: wish I could directly quote it. Principles oh. You still there Steve. Yeah, I'm still here. I, I, I was trying to think of the quote that you were referring to um, No, you it... pause on the screen for a little bit. So uh, I didn't you. I'm still here um, So yeah, he's talking about there's there's principles and then there's many methods to those principles I think was the sort of quote. I can't exactly yeah. remember it But there's many ways to go about things, but you still need to abide by certain principles
1: Yeah, so basically he's talking about if you see a program and the program has a name uh, don't just ask someone, what do you think about GVT? What do you think about DUP? What do you think about this? Take the principles that we know that have been laid out for us uh, through sports science, through years of research. Like when people say it's the RP way, I don't like the way RP does shit. We're not doing shit in RP way. We're doing shit based on science, based on these principles that we we didn't come up with this shit. I don't think people realize that. <laughs> like We're utilizing... The things that have already been laid out for us that we've been learning through, uh, like how I learned through undergrad, how I'm learning through masters, how uh, the rest of the PhDs at Renaissance, the rest of the PhDs and coaches at 3DMJ, uh, the things we learned in our classes, the things that podcasts can't teach you, (laughs) wink, wink, um, the things that that can't teach you, the physiology behind it, that's what we're using to make programs. And that's what we're using to look at programs that's how it works you don't just say how's gvt well how many years you've been training who are you talking about uh do you need that much volume what's your mrv etc 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 it's you know just gotta start looking at things that way man i don't even know where i was what led me to that freaking rant right there
0: (laughs) it was a very good rant to be honest you brought up loads of really interesting points and um quite a few i want to actually touch on and i'm yeah ask I mean, for for sure, I think it's... I mean, just because obviously we have Mike on the show all the time. I respect Mike massively. I mm. mean, um, he's such a humble and very nice guy. Like, to say such statements about his education, his background and the stuff he puts Ordinary. out, it's not really... Um, he's not really trying to go out of his way to harm anyone he is putting out what he thinks is the best information and um, And that's all we're doing yeah it's it's difficult and then again like you touched on it's not really the RP way I've definitely heard these sort of statements before about like Eric Helms does it like this and Yeah, I mean, it is those methods might be different, but the overall principles, when you really understand them, like you've read scientific principles of strength training, you understand that the RP diet book, the muscle and strength pyramids, once you've got those kind of background principles, yes, there's many methods, but remember the principles still kind of um, are there and they make sense. But the thing I wanted to really touch on is you basically made a good case for starting off with the minimum we need to produce the result we want and then being able to because we know progressive overload is required and then overloading from there um mm-hmm. i think when you are and for me for sure when i was younger and i got first into the gym and i think loads of people are going to be able to relate to this i just went in and did basically as much as i could and i basically followed linear progression until i just either my form completely broke down i got injured or i started actually regressing i can remember regressing so um did you want to kind of talk yeah
1: let me? me stop you there that's that's the big thing. It's the whole Nike attitude is rudimentary. It's pretty uh, well established. You got to work hard. So just to repeat, you got to work hard to make yourself seem like a better coach. Uh, I don't understand how people fall for the shit. I, I don't get it. Um, yeah, we get it. Work hard. Nike, just do it. I, I understand that. I learned that when I was in fucking preschool. So the big thing that you mentioned that I want to touch on is the injury thing like Michael I like this quote uh, if you don't deload your body's gonna fucking deload for you right so to just push a shitload of volume on your clients on yourself tell them work hard actually go to complete muscular failure even with some technique breakdown even through really shitty ranges of motion you're literally setting them up if you can get them jacked enough for a really bad acute injury so there's acute and chronic injuries uh, both of those can be, uh, you can do both of those to yourself basically uh, by that mind state. By that mind state of, I just got to work hard all the time, go to failure all the time. It's going to lead to overuse, chronic injuries, and it's going to lead to acute injuries uh, sooner rather than later. How many guys have you met bouncing uh, the fucking deadlift off the ground, and the next week you see them and they're like, oh, I'm not deadlifting this week. Uh, something in my back. You know, they're like, SI. SI, uh, the SI thing back there. Yeah. And you're like, eh, yeah, I could have told you that, you know, you're going to failure on deadlifts, bouncing it off the ground. How, you're not even actually controlling the deadlift. So that's the thing that you touched on that's that really hopefully is an eye opener for a lot of these kids. Like, yeah, you got to work hard, but your coach, if your coach is a good coach and they understand RPE and RRR, which look, every, every power lifter, in The world that is elite uses RPE, which is RIR mm-hmm. to disregard that completely is just absurd uh, They have some of the most muscle mass in the world. Tell me Ray Williams <laughs> doesn't have <laughs> uh, Equal muscle mass to an IFBB pro. You know what I'm saying? He does he absolutely fucking does uh, Maybe more more for a lot of them like the two twelves, they don't have that much so to say this whole system is garbage is just like I don't understand. <laughs> you're you're training your clients, you're throwing all the volume at them, you're setting them up for these injuries, and it's it's not a good idea. I think stepping back, uh, reevaluating what you're doing, looking at the principles, um, applying them to your training, and then also applying the concepts that go, come along with those principles, like this RPE, like the RAR, mm-hmm. uh, deloading, fatigue management, substrate repletion. Um,
0: yeah yeah i think something that a lot of people who struggle with the reps and reserve the rpe scale and something that's actually been studied is the fact that less people who are less experienced in the gym are less good at being able to actually make sure that they're they're doing it successfully Um, and we only really it's kind of a skill to be able to really understand where you are um how do you go about kind of engaging that with your clients helping them get an understanding of their reps and reserve do you have any systems or ways you've helped them understand how they're doing it whether it's like filming their form or actually going to failure now and then to try and get a gauge for that
1: uh filming is pretty decent um especially if they're like basically a client will send me their stats they'll tell me they've been training for a year six months then they'll send me their 10 rms okay If you see pictures of your clients and then you see their 10RMs and their 10RMs don't look like they match the pictures of the client, it's pretty simple. You say, hey, how about you send me a video of your squats the first week? And I'll give them the the intensities based off of uh, what they said. And then um, once they send me the videos, I'll be like, how about you try this? You try this range of motion. You try pointing the toes out a little bit. Uh, You try controlling the eccentric a little better, like in a squat. Um, And then they're like, yeah, man, I got two reps. Yeah, I know. That's why I said that (laughs) so The way we can kind of as a coach get them to that uh, RAR themselves is by programming a certain percentage I like to program 80 to 82 percent of their 10 RM and then say uh, You need to be within the 6 to 12 rep range, right? So 80 to 82 percent of your 10 RM is a pretty damn good uh, intensity it's probably roughly 65% of your one arm or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to go in and say you need to be in a six to 12 rep range, that, like the first mesocycle or something, typically it looks something like, you know, uh, they'll go for the heavy end of the range. They'll get 12. They'll realize that they're getting a lot of metabolite accumulation. They'll realize they're getting a lot of within session fatigue. They'll get like 10, then they'll get like nine. And they sort of, Intuitively do this because you know you're telling them week one, I would like you to be within the four reps in reserve. Week uh, two, three. Week uh, three, two, etc. Are you still with me, Steve? Yeah, yeah, still. Sorry, your, your picture keeps freezing over here. Oh, scaring it's scaring the right. shit out of me. <laughs> um, oh, I'm just deadly I'm in, I'm in still. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm in like rest hall Wi-Fi. That's why I look like I'm in a freaking jail cell. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so with uh, especially beginner clients, I send a little bit more lengthy explanation, um, in that initial email of how it works. Um, and a lot of times they'll overdo it, yeah. And you can kind of track that with their uh performance and try to help them understand as the message cycle goes on. It's going to be trial and error with beginner clients, obviously, that's a hard system. Um, when you get like two and one RAR, it, it's, it's pretty easy to, to understand. Oh, I got like two or one left. Uh, you know, four and three RAR is like, uh, a little harder to judge, but once they send me their technique videos or they send me sort of, uh, their questions, which this is usually a question I get from them, you just dive into a little bit more of an explanation of how that works. Like I told you earlier, you know, you start to feel a little bit of cadence, slow down. That's probably a good week one. Uh... So they'll be like, yeah, man, I did uh, you know, 10 reps. I could have probably done a few more though, but my cadence slowed down, so I did stop. And then the next week, I'm like, perfect. This is what I want you to do. The whole point of us adding the weight to the bar as well is to get you closer to the proximity to failure for the week. Yeah. So I'll kind of repeat that in, in a different way. If I give you three RIR, three reps in reserve the first week and two reps in reserve the second week, what you're doing is matching the reps from this week. And if I add five to 10 pounds to the bar or a certain percentage to the bar for that next week, it basically just auto-regulates itself and you're hitting that same rep range, the same reps on those sets with the heavier weight at at the new RAR. So if you got 1099 at three RAR with a hundred pounds, you should be getting 10.99 nine with 105 pounds at 2 RIR the next week. So that's sort of a way that I can program it to make sure they're hitting the correct RIR per week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll have times when uh, you program a weight, and this just happens anyways for any coach. You, you'll program a weight, and they have like 15 reps listed. I got 15; it was way too light, and it's like, okay, you just go and you fix it. Uh, you base it off the performance. You go up you know, 20 pounds instead of 10 pounds the next week or something, mm-hmm. and it fixes itself. You say, hey, don't worry about getting 15. Knock it down. Stay within the rep range that we want. Uh, stick with the RAR that I want. But that's the big, the big, the big big, thing, uh, like you asked, and I sort of guess in a roundabout way. I just went the long way around. It's that programming, the intensity jumps per week to make sure they're meeting the next RAR.
0: No, it makes complete sense. And I guess the the actual great thing with the reps and reserve system is even if, I mean, because you're not going to have the same things happening every single week. You might, one week, you don't get enough sleep for a session. Totally. So, I mean, your reps might even come down. You might not meet. And they that, can. That, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's the great thing with the reps and reserve. Whereas, like you said initially, when you're programming, like you must hit these reps with these sets with this load and you're progressively increasing load and you end up chasing that, And that's when the problems come in with the form breakdown and all of those scenarios coming along, um, which is definitely something you want to avoid.
1: Yeah, and and even like, so you said, some weeks are different. Yeah, so I'll have clients who are three reps in reserve uh, that second week or something, and then the next week is super stressful, and they're not going to match the reps. The cool part about that is that volume over the week, because of sets, goes up. So if the volume overall is increasing because we're working from – this, and this is what I'm talking about, about combining all these concepts together. This is how it works. (laughs) Since the volume overall is going up over the week from the sets, you know, we're working from MEV to MRV. So the sets are going up. Uh, The intensity is going up. The um, proximity to failure is going up. All these things lead to overload. If one thing fucks up, two other things are working in, in your favor. Not a huge deal. Mm -hmm. So if you can't match the reps and your two RAR is now eight instead of 10 on your first set because of the intensity jump, one, I'll make a better intensity jump next time for you. And if we couldn't avoid it, then two, you have the uh, sets going up even later on in the week for your other sessions. So if it was quads that was going bad, quads are still going up in the other session. If it was chest going bad, chest is still going up in the other session. So that's going up uh, and the intensity is going to go up. Mm -hmm.
0: No, I, th- I, I like the system and it's definitely something that sounds very familiar with me and the stuff I use for, well, the stuff we use with our clients here. And it's because it, the great thing about it is it's so dynamic and you're continually learning kind of how you're responding to your training, how everything's going. Um, and that's what I really enjoy about it. Um, I had a point in my head that I've completely forgotten because can you speak, Jared? I don't know if I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I can still hear you. Good. Um so, yeah, it's a completely dynamic system. So you're continually learning. So I was going to say with my clients, when we do use kind of those three to four reps in reserve, some I mean, the majority of them overshoot. And that means then we uh, they end up not being able to progress as well through the weeks. We may even end up deloading early. And then you learn from that. Whereas other people, they might be going a bit kind of on the softer side. They might not push hard enough. But in that final week or when you are with that one rep in reserve, eventually I mean, you learn there. Like, if your reps are suddenly jumping up with increased load, you know the other weeks you're going to ease yourself. And essentially, it's for everyone I've worked with, it's basically a month. And then they've learned the system and they've learned how to use relative intensity. And then that sets them up for years of progressive training where they can actually go and overload and recover and manage fatigue and get the better results.
1: So what these uh, you know, train harder views, I think, are aiming at is the, the population that is undershooting. But like I find that with my advanced clients, they're not undershooting. They're overshooting because they want to train fucking hard. Uh, they love going to the gym. The beginner clients who are sort of like, yeah, okay, I get it, and then they undershoot, uh, that's not a big deal, man. Uh, and this is what I'm talking about with actually like You know, this is the the things that the the education teaches you in conceptualizing concepts in class, having a professor to ask things. It's like overload's a two-part definition. It's within uh, a maximum threshold and harder than recent previous stimuli. Are they meeting the first fucking point or the second point of that fucking definition? Yes, they, they undershot a little bit. Who fucking cares? It's harder than not doing anything at all. That's what a beginner does is nothing at all. So if they met the second part of the overload definition, are they not going to fucking see any growth whatsoever just because they accidentally undershot on a on a training session or two? No, and they're going to be fucking safer. So why are you why are people bitching about that? It doesn't make sense. They understand that it has to get harder. That's what overload is. It has to get fucking harder. And the clients understand that because as a coach, we say that. I would just say, hey, man, it's okay that you undershot this week. Next week's going to get a little bit harder, and you're going to have to understand that. Mm -hmm. That's it. You don't have to go on, uh, you know, you don't have to create, you know, little DM groups and just talk shit on all these beginners that are doing that. You don't have to like publicly just make millions of rants about how nobody trains as hard as you bro and you're the hardest fucking trainer of all time it's like they're learning (laughs) we all learn too maybe you learn by just uh, demolishing yourself like me and steve did (laughs) you know getting those little injuries along the way and maybe you learn by undershooting a little bit and having your coach say hey man it's okay that you undershot Uh, and for any beginner listening it's okay that you undershot but it has to get harder and that's the point they're trying to make that they just it's a pretty it's a mute point just make the point training has to get harder Mm -hmm. Um, you can't just undershoot all the time and the uh, more advanced you get the harder it's gonna get as a beginner you know within the first couple years of training do you need to take training to failure all the fucking time? No. Uh, in later weeks of the mesocycle, like if you can run six-week mesocycles or something like that since you're a beginner, and like weeks five and six, should training be pretty goddamn hard? Hell, yeah, it should be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a pretty moot point to make. That's, we understand that.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's actually interesting to me because um, for sure the first kind of weeks of mesocycle sometimes feel like I'm not training that hard. Maybe I want to push harder. But by the end of my mesocycles, like that final week, I think – I mean, every single time I get there, I'm like, this is the hardest I've ever trained. And it's much harder than I ever could have yeah. if I was training kind of very, kind of somewhat hard all the time. Totally, and
1: that's the funny thing. Uh, I have a couple IFEB IFBB clients now, Men's Physique one right nice. now. He, uh, yeah, he, uh, <laughs> same thing, man. He just wanted to train fucking hard. And he's a natural guy too. He's just a Men's Physique competitor. He just wants to train hard because that's what all the guys around him are doing, like hard, hard, hard. He said when he reached week four of the Mesa cycle, it was the hardest training he's ever done in his life. It's like, they think that this sort of progression leads people to just be soft. And it's like, man, if you think you train hard, go through a well thought out, uh, periodized approach where at the end of the mesocycle, you're trying to functionally overreach. You'll understand what hard training is. It gets very hard as an intermediate to advanced lifter. As a beginner lifter, can it be less hard? Absolutely. Uh, does it have to be? No, you can still train hard if you just love to train. But yeah, so he just like <laughs> we like midway through the week, he's like, "Dude, I kind of have like a runny nose. I feel I feel like yeah. garbage. <laughs> fatigue is catching up for sure." I'm like, yeah, man, that's that's what happens. So he finishes the, the the mesocycle and then he's deloading. He's like, "I've never wanted to deload in my life." <laughs> so
0: now that's it, I mean, it. Gets hard. It's completely true, and that's exactly. <laughs> from, I mean, all the literature I'd read before I even came across Mike's work, and you think about kind of the Hensal principle, where you have to accumulate and then you dissipate that stress by the deload, but you need to, and adaptive systems adapt harder and harder and harder, and you have to push them to a point where you can make new adaptions. And for the advanced lifter, you have to train at that point that's very, very difficult sometimes to see that net result. But as a beginner, you you don't, like you said. Um, so it's, yeah, it's very interesting and it just, for me the the whole system makes good sense and we've kind of touched on deloads and, um, you've touched on them a little bit. I thought it would be useful for the listeners. We get tons of questions on deloads. So it'd be really helpful, I think, for you to kind of explain how you use them with your clients, um, oh. and yeah, how you implement those.
1: Yeah, totally. So, um, deloads are basically always planned for, for me and my clients, uh, the more advanced someone is, it seems like the mesocycle sort of needs to uh, decrease in length, just because of the uh, fatigue that they can induce with the intensities that they're using. Um, their you know threshold between MEV and MRP kind of decreases a little bit, things of that nature. So deloads will be you know sooner for them, later for beginners, but they're planned, and that's because if you try to sort of auto-regulate your deloads, and this is another thing, like the hard training crowd is like trying to promote, auto-regulation of deloads, or whatever you want to call it, it's not actually what you would call that, but um, taking them when you feel like it, and when your uh, performance goes down, that's okay, but taking planned deloads takes care of like damage to microstructures and tendons that you can't exactly feel. I think Mike's told you the story about the bodybuilder who blew his quad off the bone posing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't take the time to take the deloads, take the active rest periods, uh, manage those microstructure tears, the tendon tears, uh, the joints, the joint pain, and things of that nature. Like I said, performance is an okay indicator. If you went five weeks, um, <laughs> uh, or let's say six weeks, like you're an intermediate lifter, you went six weeks of hard training. Uh, at the end, you were reaching one RAR, and you think, "Oh, uh, you know, I feel decent." Or midway through your deload, you're like, "Oh, I feel decent. I can just stop deloading because I feel decent. Performance is okay." But just think about those those microstructures, think yeah. about the tendons and just realize they need healing too. Where you might not feel it, it, it doesn't matter, they still gotta heal. Um, like a paper cut, um, would you just keep cutting the, the, the fucking paper cut when it doesn't sting anymore? No, you'd let the fucking paper cut heal. So. <laughs>
0: No, I think was I was, was going to say, I think Mike used, I think this is the analogy he used, where it's kind of like you're driving along, you have a full gas tank, but you can't see how much gas you've got. So it's like you're going along and you've been driving a certain number of miles. You're like, I- I'm still driving. I could keep going, but I might end mm-hmm. up stalling and then like being absolutely lost. Or maybe I'll just drop in and get some gas so I know I'm full totally. so I can keep going. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a perfect analogy. Yeah, I just uh, it, it just rings true so well because every single time a deload comes around, I might be like, I don't really want to take it, but every time I do it and then come out of it, you know, it's like one of those things you don't know it until you try it.
1: Yeah, so definitely, and that's the that's one of the biggest parts about. It. So I just wanted to touch on that, but deloading in general is important. It's an important concept, and anybody who is like claiming science or evidence based. Or just a a coach in general that is trying to tell you that it's not important I don't think they actually understand what it's trying to do but it's a two-part thing right deloading isn't just um, getting rid of fatigue the deload is also sort of repleting our substrates Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there's a cool little fact about muscle glycogen and total body glycogen stores and that's that the closer we reach a certain percentage of our total body glycogen stores the more catabolic regulators go up uh, fatigue goes up and it sort of just uh, creates this relationship where fatigue rises exponentially while glycogen uh, and everything performance fall off Mm -hmm. exponentially in the other way Uh, if you're not taking the full deload and not repleting substrates from the really hard training, especially the guys that are training super fucking hard. If they're gonna deload, then they need the full deload because their total body glycogen stores are probably even lower. And the second you start your mesocycle again without repleting your substrates, you're giving yourself even less time to train hard because you're gonna deplete substrates uh, more quickly, which means more fatigue more quickly, which means more catabolic regulators, AMPK, more quickly. Um so to say, never deload just doesn't make much sense to me uh, it's a two part thing we're healing those structures, healing the microstructures, healing uh the muscle tears, getting rid of fatigue, and we're repleting the substrates
0: and is that in a scenario of cutting or massing and cutting uh both <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, one hundred percent both so
1: even even when you're massing, you're still depleting total body glycogen stores. It, yeah, you, you can uh, replete a little better maybe uh, since you're having more carbs, more meals, uh, you're hypercaloric, but you can't escape, what, what does Mike say uh, about um, anabolic resistance? It's just everywhere. You just can't escape it, right? So you can't escape the fact that it's going to happen. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I think it's, I, I've definitely seen it with myself in the past when I maybe didn't take any lower volume phases i didn't take any deloads and it just seemed like i was literally battling fatigue and just going like grinding through sessions where i could um rather than doing like the the, like taking a diet break just refuels you for like more easier dieting in future like people do these they end up yo-yo dieting um rather than having these like progressive steps towards getting leaner and leaner um, no, I think that was a fantastic discussion. I don't know if you want to touch on anything else on deloads. Uh, we can move on to like the next. I know you want to talk on this next topic, so I want to make sure we cover it.
1: Uh, yeah, just realize that if you don't deload, um, that's when you set yourself up for those acute traumatic injuries uh, down the road. Um, I think the work hard crowd. I'm just gonna really. I'm just gonna seriously go back to this a lot because it's it's super frustrating to have guys who claim science based uh, just repeat shit in a more intellectual manner that ifbb pros that don't know anything have been saying forever like fucking work hard that's what they're saying they're trying to portray it as this like intellectual debate when it's really not at all you're just saying the same shit we've already heard so understand (laughs) that if you do not deload your coach doesn't have you deload frequently they're not planned it can lead to those sort of acute traumatic injuries i'm not trying to like Scare people from training hard uh, because you still need to train hard. Like I said, put all the pieces together. I've obviously said you need to train hard. I've obviously said training needs to get harder and you need to functionally overreach toward the end if you're intermediate to advanced. But you also need to deload. So I'm not saying don't ever fucking train hard and always deload. I'm saying plan your deloads, train as hard as you like. As hard as you need to through the volume landmarks up until you functionally overreach, fucking blast yourself, and then make sure you take care of that shit. You're just taking care of it. Mm -hmm. So don't have an acute traumatic injury. Um, Like the work hard crowd says, uh, these guys that are at the top, what is one thing they all have in common? They went through some shit. They all got some fucking battle wounds, yada, yada. I'm like, yeah, that's fucking cool, but they could have avoided it. And they could have uh, progressed a little better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they fucking worked hard But I guarantee you if you took someone put them through a well periodized approach uh, Took them through some volume landmarks took them through uh, and got them to understand what it means uh, To train and adapt and maximally adapt week to week to week. They would have made even more gains Mm -hmm. So to say just because they worked hard. That's why they made the most gains. It's not true. So just make sure your coach is uh, planning deloads for you. Make sure they're taking a really well periodized approach and just let it all fall into place.
0: Uh, just to finish on this, just because I have a great analogy for it, and I think it's been used by multiple people before, but it's like um, I've definitely had friends where they're like, oh, it doesn't matter if I get burnt in the sun because eventually it turns into a nice tan, like it's fine, It and then it peels off and they could give themselves some serious problems in future with that. Whereas the person who kind of just accumulates a little bit of sunlight then they get a bit more they get a bit more they're gonna have a much healthier situation going on they're gonna be more tanned for longer it's kind of that accumulation of things not an acute dose that you want and this is every like every biological system like broderick would definitely say yep awesome um so uh, yeah oh. and that's another thing they wouldn't that's a fine thing to say like yeah
1: sure it's gonna to turn to a tan but um They wouldn't just fucking stay out in the sun like if you had a uh alternate dimension where 24 hours a day it was daylight it was 90 degrees they wouldn't fucking sit in the sun for 24 hours a day because the burn would just get worse and worse and worse turn it through traumatic injury and then you're in the fucking hospital
0: no exactly no it's uh we're we're getting onto i think we've i i'm really glad that we had that discussion i think you've kind of explained it incredibly well jared so i hope A lot of the listeners take that on board. A lot of coaches take that on board because I think that was some seriously helpful information that was put to them. Um, The next question I have for you, and I know you want to rant on this one, so I'm excited for your answer is, I think a lot of people when they're in diets or in their, especially in contest prep, they're kind of chasing almost, tension and they're really really like i have to maintain strength sometimes for the sake of volume i mean they're very yeah. worried and they they kind of think if they're getting weaker then that's definitely a sign of muscle loss they have to take a refeed or a diet break um, and i just love to hear about your thoughts on kind of strength losses whilst dieting and um, does that mean oh. you're losing muscle if you see <laughs> that kind of performance decrement
1: yeah totally so basically Man, I wish I could remember the quote. I'm not even going to try it. But there are some things going on when we're dieting, like the depletion of substrates. Um, Fatigue is catching up to us, especially in the later phases of dieting. The later, later phases of dieting, when we're in show prep and we're hitting a whole bunch of volume and our calories are like 2,000 calories a day and we're doing, you know, fucking six times a week cardio or, or whatever it may be. Uh, anabolic resistance is out the ass Um, our leverages are off all these things right what that is is a calculated trade-off that's all that it is okay it's the same thing in powerlifting when powerlifters go through hypertrophy phases or powerlifters try to get down a weight class they take a calculated trade-off in their one rep max for the time being That doesn't mean they can't do it. It means they're not primed for it. They're not ready for it. They're not if you're not willing to take the calculated trade-off, like these powerlifters that are (laughs) trying to either get down a weight class or put on muscle before they can go back and get make themselves strong again, uh, you just have to be willing to take that trade-off. It's not a loss in your strength. So putting heavy fives, heavy fours, heavy threes on the bar during super hypercaloric periods to maintain your strength is a fucking terrible idea when you take into account the fatigue that comes along with the intensities that you're using so the intensity the weight on the bar relative to how strong you are the closer you reach your 100 percent so you're one rep max the more fatiguing it is trying to do the most fatiguing shit, hypocaloric when you could just put a little more volume in there And just realize that you're not losing strength you have a calculated trade-off it's probably gonna save you some uh, for sure injuries because I don't know how many people I I know there was a real popular guy who was supposed to compete last year that ended up fucking both his elbows up or something like that because he was doing some crazy shit on deadlifts but um just understand glycogen's you have less glycogen you weigh less so your leverages are off Um, there's a lot of conversion type things going on with inside the muscle fiber not necessarily direct conversions to different types but uh, fibers that are faster and bigger motor units basically taking on uh, slower twitch characteristics that's gonna lead to less force production Mm -hmm. okay it's gonna lead to less of a, um, a one rep max strength you're not losing it okay Uh, The catabolic regulators in your body from the hypocaloric dieting from the high volumes from the cardio It's just so high that the ability of you to go ahead and express that strength is just down. It's Mm. just down It's not gone. You still have the muscle tissue, especially if you're prepping right you're prepping with a really good coach and they've maintained your muscle tissue Tell me how you get weaker. You didn't lose muscle Okay You just lost some of the things that go with uh, force production. Mm -hmm. So understanding that you need to take these calculated trade-offs and not chase what you did before is something that – Especially natural bodybuilders just need to understand like the guys on drugs, you know Maybe maybe they can get away with more dumb shit like Ronnie Coleman deadlifting 800 pounds or whatever the fuck It was for three reps like two weeks before the Olympia. So yeah, no fucking shit He upped his dose to two grams per week Do whatever the fuck he wants But you can also get hurt doing that shit So the natural guys need to understand Chasing Maintaining your strength just isn't gonna happen Maintaining the ability to show your strength is what I mean. It's just not going to happen. Okay? Um, it's in no way optimal to try and do that especially when you start thinking about fatigue and uh, Potential injury risk Mm -hmm. if you ask me when I'm deep into a diet and I'm fucking glycogen depleted the best time of the day for me Is getting a pump in the gym and not looking like a flat piece of fucking shit? How do you get a pump in the gym? You do high volumes. <laughs> How do you look better? It's the high volume. just not chasing the strength. So uh, this could be good news for you because that just means you can actually now do more volume with less fatigue relative to the intensity used in the volume match. So if you just try to do uh, a little less strength training and a little more volume training in those later phases, except the calculated trade-off, you're probably going to be doing yourself a – a big service especially when we start talking about the injury risk mm-hmm. so.
0: yeah i think it's it's interesting because i think a lot of people then cut their volume to try and keep maintain that intensity um and then they make the argument that anyone who says different like dropping intensity and raising volumes is making an argument for the high pumpy like the old like people think of like the 20 plus repetitions, really light weights, and doing yeah, which toning is funny. work. Which is not, not what necessary. you're saying, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, not at all because it's in it's, Last time I checked six to eight reps is, is pretty fucking heavy. <laughs> like uh, it's pretty well shown that that uh, above a certain threshold were, you know, stimulating hypertrophy. It's pretty well shown that if you're uh, training with these RIRs, RPEs, uh, it's stimulating hypertrophy. So, if you're hitting that six to eight rep range on your heavy compounds, um, it's probably a little safer at 70%, 75% than it would be to hit sets of three at 85%, uh, 90%. It's just safer, but it's still signaling hypertrophy. It's still helping you maintain your lean tissue. I, I don't understand how that's a debate honestly that this isn't going to help us maintain our lean tissue in the long run and that you have to just train heavy and that's the anabolic trigger like that most of that literature is on uh, like maintenance level calorie uh, maintenance body weight like they didn't really change that too much and uh, phases for athletes Mm -hmm. where they did like you know sets of three to five
0: so and, it's just like and we have good literature as well like that's commenting how this is useful for people who are maybe injured so they can use lighter loads and still get hypertrophy people who are older so they can't use such high intensities they can still see great growth i think totally. eric, eric helms may have even said he had a, a one of their 3dmj coaches took song to stage with just occlusion training or something on their legs yeah that's they they were did. Injured. Yeah.
1: yeah totally and uh, so i mean Is that an anecdotal experience, sure, but we can sort of conceptualize multiple concepts to understand that uh, volume's the number one contributor to hypertrophy, which means during a diet, if you're trying to promote anabolism, you're trying to trigger mTOR during training, uh, it's going to be fine. Volume is fine um, within that maximum threshold or minimum threshold. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, I think we've had an amazing discussion and I want to say a massive thank you for Jared for making the time to do this. Um, And if people are like they enjoyed this, uh, maybe you can comment and like say how much you love Jared and maybe I'll be able to that would encourage him to come back on the show. um, And if you do have any other questions or concerns, but also um, remember that we're going to be having those RP um, seminars in the uk and jared's going to be here with mike and we'll be going to going over hypertrophy in some crazy depth like never before um, and also probably doing some private gym sessions as well so that's going to be incredibly oh, exciting yeah. um i'm excited to meet jared uh, for the first time and also be with mike again and get oh, dwarfed I, by both i of lost you for a second <laughs> ah i was just can you hear me now yep Ah, I was just saying how I'm looking forward to meeting you in person and getting yeah, dwarfed man. by both yourself and Mike. Um, I don't think you'll be George. How tall are you? You're like 5'11", right? I'm five, yeah, 5'10". Five I think you're the same. <laughs> but
1: Yeah, you're probably, you're probably bigger than me, man. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> 40 pounds heavier I'll, though, Jared. Yeah,
1: I, I'm soft from the sides, man. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> so, um, if Jared, if people want to kind of learn more about you, learn more from you, uh, <laughs> and they're not coming to those seminars, where should they reach out? I know you're active on Instagram. Wow. yeah totally
1: uh instagram uh, i try honestly i try to like answer because i don't think many people do this i try to answer every comment every dm that i get um and as in that depth as i can uh, while in grad school that's taken you know the back burner obviously but i still try to do it um my emails in my profile and i i love really structured emails with really uh really good questions so I can kind of respond back to you. And I mean, we both learn that way. It's really cool. And I don't mind it. So follow me on Instagram. It's just Jared underscore feather. Uh, Facebook, I'll post shit on there every now and again. Mike sort of is the, the leader on Facebook there. But uh, I post shit on there. It's just my name. And that's really, that's all the s- social media I have. But you can email me too. I don't give a shit. I just like to talk, man. <laughs>
0: Fucking call me, you know? <laughs> Whatever, um, And I'll make sure there's a link below and also your YouTube channel because you did a great yeah, vlog yeah. of your contest prep, which is really cool. And it, it said a lot of it talked about a lot of these principles and showed in your training. Yeah.
1: And what we didn't talk about today is how I take my clients and myself through these uh, volume landmarks and how I progress from mesocycle to mesocycle, uh, sort of how we continue to overload, yeah. especially during prep. So I did a whole series of on that. Um, and just so everyone knows, uh, I got a DEXA scan before and after um, prep, and I lost no muscle tissue, it was really cool. So I would say it's pretty good for maintaining really muscle cool. tissue, taking people through the volume landmarks and doing it correctly, and always overloading uh, mesocycle to mesocycle. But I talk about it on there. it's also just my name, I think if you just put Jared Feather in uh, the first video that'll pop up will be someone muscle worshipping Um The second video will be
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not even a joke either it's just like <laughs> oh, God. A, a whole collage of like my Instagram clips.
0: <laughs> oh no super crazy I yeah have that's no quite idea. weird
1: but the second thing that'll pop up will be my my page hopefully.
0: <laughs> well i'll so. make sure that's linked below as well if you don't search it but now you're going to get a load of people watching that muscle work muscle work <laughs> yeah, worshiping than... video
1: <laughs> yeah
0: sweet awesome well thank you everyone for listening thank you once again to jared and we will catch you soon